friends, and welcome to Muscle Maven Radio. I'm your host, Ashley Van Houten. I hope you guys are doing awesome. We have almost made it to the end of the first month of 2021. Hasn't exactly been smooth sailing, I don't think, for most of us, but I mean, January never is, right? So I hope you guys are feeling positive and happy um, and just ready to tackle whatever else 2021 throws at us, right? Because it will throw some stuff at us. That's how life goes. Um, This is, I believe, I'm pretty sure this is coming out on the week of my birthday, the end of January, and I'm feeling happy and grateful to be doing this work on my birthday and um, feeling like I'm doing work that is helping people and that doesn't really feel a whole lot like work to me a lot of the time because I get to talk to such awesome people and learn and share and make myself a better person as a result of it. So I'm feeling very grateful. And um, if you guys are enjoying the podcast, if you're enjoying what I'm doing, an amazing way to say thank you and say happy birthday to me because look, I'm not gonna pretend that I'm one of those people who doesn't care about my birthday. You know, I'm excited. I want to celebrate. I want to eat some cake, um, but I don't really need any presents. So what I would love and would appreciate so, so greatly is if you would just sort of show me your appreciation a little bit if you do like the podcast by leaving a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts, if that's where you listen, to make sure you're subscribed wherever you are and downloading the episodes because that makes a difference with the algorithms. Maybe instead, if you if you can't do that with the podcast, maybe if you've bought my book, It Takes Guts, and you enjoyed it, if you could leave me an Amazon review and a rating there, that makes a big difference in the algorithms and lets more people see the work that I'm doing. That is the kind of thoughtful and authentic feedback that really, really makes a difference to me. I love when people message me and tell me that they're enjoying the show or the book or that they appreciate the work that I do. It really, really means a lot, but it actually really helps me professionally if you can do that in a formal way so that other people can see it as well. So if you would love to uh, make my day this week on my birthday, I'm turning, I don't know, 21 or something. Let's go with that. Um, It would mean a lot to me. I appreciate it so much. Thank you in advance. On to today's episode. Uh, Today I'm talking to Dr. Andy Galpin. And I'm really excited about this because he's an incredibly uh, intelligent guy that puts out an incredible amount of free information. Um, And the great thing about what he's doing is that he makes his money regardless of how popular his YouTube channel is, or um, he's not trying to sell stuff to us, right? Like he's doing work separate from the communication that he gives to all of us for free. So he's not trying to sell us anything. He's not trying to convince us of anything. He's just doing incredible work and putting it out there for us to benefit from. So that's kind of the best way to learn, I think. He's a professor with a PhD in human bioenergetics. He's a researcher and a scientist who dedicates a lot of his study and work to enhancing sports performance. And he works directly with professional athletes, uh, most notably MMA, UFC athletes. And of course, that's a sport that I'm very interested in. So I get to kind of nerd out and ask him lots of questions about his work with specific UFC athletes and things like how to eat and train for performance. Um talking about how they prep for fights, like anybody who knows about sports like MMA or fight sports where they have to do this really infamous kind of weight manipulation that includes dehydration and all that stuff. It's kind of scary to watch sometimes, really intense. But he talks a little bit about the science of that. 
and then more broadly talks about how to hydrate for the average person who may be an athlete or not, but just how to do this optimally. So we talk about lots of stuff like that, um, just general nutrition and exercise for optimal muscle growth and performance. And most importantly, I think we really kind of talk about how to take ownership of your own health and fitness journey so that you feel empowered and in control of your decisions and your results. And if you've been listening for a while, you know that that's kind of a common thread with the work that I do, right? Like there's a lot of smart people out there. There's a lot of resources you can take advantage of, and that's all great, but that's part of you learning and applying this stuff to yourself and doing the work and no one can do that but you. And I think that the more we look at that like an adventure and an exciting process rather than how am I going to do this? How am I going to figure it out? The better off we are. So that's my rant for today. I hope that you enjoy this episode. Thank you so much to Dr. Andy Galpin. He's an awesome dude. Tons of great information. We also talk a little bit about hunting at the end because, um, I'm convincing him to to make some recipes in my book, so we'll have to follow up and see if he got around to that and enjoyed any. But without further ado, here is my interview with the awesome Dr. Andy Galpin. All right, Dr. Andy Galpin, thank you for being here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. It's so good to catch up. It's been certainly too long. Yeah, I mean, now that we're not allowed to go anywhere or do anything or, you know within reason um, and we probably won't ever again so yeah cool. well you're you're still going cool places as we're gonna talk about but um i don't know like should we just start like just dive right into abu dhabi or should i ask you more like general high level health questions first what do you think you, you, you know your world whatever you want to do okay i All talk right. way too much and i you better pick your questions selectively because if we got an hour you got like three questions okay so. perfect that's actually perfect because i just want to sit here and have you tell me interesting things. All well, right. I don't know if it'll be interesting, but I'll tell you things. Okay. So everybody who listens to this podcast knows that I am a big MMA fan. I love the sport. I dabble a little bit in some things here and there, but mostly I'm just, I'm fascinated by the athleticism of it. I love to watch the like behind the scenes, countdowns, whatever, because I like to see how people eat and how people train and how people recover and the mindset of people who can get in front of millions of people and maybe get their lights knocked out. It just, it's like, so from a psychological perspective, it's so fascinating to me. Um, and you work with a lot of MMA fighters. And just recently I was obsessively watching your stories because you had a really cool opportunity to go to Abu Dhabi and be a part of Brian Ortega's camp and all the stuff that he was doing. So can you just sort of break down for people who may not be as into this stuff as I am, what you do for these athletes? And, and we can talk about that experience a little bit. Yeah, sure. We'll we'll go global and then we can come in and talk about Fight Island um, specifically. But I actually had two. I had one the next weekend, Lauren Murphy as well. Mm-hmm. So it was a double dip um, over there for me. Um, so I guess to kind of back all the way up, if you have never you know heard anything about me, um, I'm a little bit unique in the fact that you know I have a PhD. I'm a full time scientist. I work at a university, so my life is split into thirds, if you will. So a third of my job is teaching. At the graduate level, sports nutrition, program design, strength and conditioning, muscle physiology, things like this. Um, in the middle, then of course we do research. So we have a center for sport performance that I direct, and we have at laboratories inside of that. And the whole goal of that is to do research that enhances sport performance. So we don't do obesity, we don't do um, disease and clinical things and whatever. It's all sport performance. 
So then the other part is, of course, working directly with the athletes themselves. So uh, some baseball players, but a lot of combat sport athletes, wrestlers, boxers, and then certainly a lot of MMA fighters. So, and why is that? If I can just interrupt, is that like a personal interest? Or Totally. Okay. Yeah, I started off in the, with NFL, actually. Um, and then I still do that stuff. And certainly that, like, honestly, the NFL and Major League Baseball pays the bills. No question, but the, the MMA thing I did because I was just like, you know, this is a lot of things you said, to be honest. It's so interesting. And I started doing amateur wrestling as well, not myself, but working with them. And honestly, I was like, look, I, I grew up pretty poor and I got so much money now relative to that. Like, not re- like I'm a teacher, so I have a teacher salary. But relative to how I came up, I was like, man, I got everything. And I just, I was so captivated with the, the idea of somebody giving their whole life for something that almost no one's going to care about. They're not going to get famous for it. They're not going to get any money for it. And and this is what it's like to be a a professional weightlifter, right? So it's like, you're going to spend your entire twenties going after a dream to make an Olympic team. No one's going to care about you. You're not going to make any money. And like only three people will even know that you did it. And, And that story just like, it sucked me in. So I was like, let's do it. I want to ride on those trains as much as I can. Like, how can I use my resources, my stuff? I don't care about being hired out as a mercenary for an NFL guy and making a few thousand dollars and they don't even know my name or care. But I was like, man, to dedicate my life, to help you support your mission that you're giving up everything for, I'm in. And so it started like that. And it just happened to be that MMA turned into something that I can actually now make a, a decent living at. So, but when I first got into it, it was for those reasons. It was like, oh, dude, you want to do this? And you want to you want to get beat up every day and cut all this weight and no one even knows, no one cares. There's no glory. The sport is short. Like there's not even Instagram yet. There's not Twitter yet. Like these things didn't exist when I got into these sports. Um, and there was certainly no money for the athletes, let alone the back end. You know, once you trickle that down, there's just no money left for, for coaches really. Um, so that's how I kind of got started in the whole thing. So to answer what I do for them, it really depends on the athlete. I guess globally, I'll say I'm a professional decision maker. Uh, and what I mean by that is when you look at this and, and you listening at home, you deal with this too. It's like, okay, you want to live your best lifestyle and okay, there's hydration things and oh, okay, I should stretch and then I should journal and I should do breathing stuff and I should lift and then I do more of this. Like there's so many things. If you did everything that you've been told is important for your health, your day would you know be nonstop just drinking water and meditating and stretching. It's not possible. And so the athletes come to me and they're like, look, I don't know what to do. And too many people, I believe, will show up and be like, oh, you need to do this. This is because this is my system. And I am the, the, the anti-system guy. I don't have a system. I look at what exactly they need, what are their problems, and then what are the best solutions to deploy to solve those problems. That's what I do professionally at the very high level. So some folks, that might mean putting them on a very specific, take a picture of all of your food, weigh it all out, send it to me. We're making sure we're optimizing vitamin A levels. We're paying attention to anti, like we're doing all this stuff. Other folks, it might be something like, you need to stop watching so much TV. Like we need to work on your breathing mechanics. Other folks, it might be, it uses a strength and conditioning issue. It could be a training camp design. And so wherever the biggest problem they have in their approach happens, that's what I identify. And then if it's something I can fix myself, I will do that. If we have to hire in somebody who's a true expert in one of those areas, then we'll do that. So that's what I really provide for most of the athletes is help with those decisions of what do I even pay attention to? Where do I spend my resources? And then if it's not me to solve that, who's the best in the world at that problem? And let's bring that person in. 
That's very cool. Uh, and I mean, you're speaking to all of us listening, like you said, because we all have the same, all health nerds, even recreational amateur ones have the same issue where we're just on Instagram all day being told all the billion things we have to do. This is why I don't stretch because I prioritize yeah. what I want to do. And if yeah. I, if I did the mobility stretching stuff that I'm supposed to do every day, I wouldn't get to work out. So guess what? Like these yeah, are the sacrifices get, I'm making. You get thrown down this like, well, it's only 10 more minutes. Yeah. Yeah, sure. But 50 of those is no longer 10 minutes. Yeah. I want to put a pin in the hydration thing because I do want to talk about that. But because um, I've been watching some of your videos, this is also something we're going to have to put in the show notes because the amount of free in-depth information that you put on your website is actually pretty incredible. I mean, that just might be going back to you being a nice guy because I don't know why you would do all that free <laughs> work for people, but uh, it's amazing. Um, you can just go on there and spend hours like talking about I don't know, farts and hydration, which is, you know, what everyone's really interested in. Yep. Um, but yeah, okay, so we'll talk about that. But going back to, um, so the most, well, the most recent, you know, um, fight that I was watching you take part in was um, Brian Ortega's. So you had to go to Abu Dhabi because that's where the UFC is holding most of their events. And that's kind of a whole big thing. They've like created a world over there. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. um, how much time did you spend over there? What exactly were you, if you, you know, as much as you can talk about it, what were you doing with Brian specifically? Talk us through that. Yeah. So it's, um, you know, you, you leave here and you go to Vegas, you quarantine for a couple of days, you get a bunch of COVID tests and you fly on a charter jet out to Abu Dhabi. And then you spend a couple of days quarantining out there, taking more tests. And then we were there. So all told it was like 13 days. And then you leave the day after, come back to Vegas, quarantine again, and then sort of come back home. Um, so that's, that was the whole trip and the UFC's built this, what they call fight Island. So the entire thing so is cool. just designed for the fights. It's pretty dope. So cool. Like you land there, they take you straight to the hotel. Everything is set up just for us, basically. And we have a whole hotel and, uh, and yeah, it's gorgeous. And it's like oh, every, God. every athlete has their own infrared sauna and it just, it's ridiculous. It's insane. Honestly, but it's the best like accommodations we get for any fight. It's, it's, it made, it was so easy in most respects other than one sleep. But, uh, and then that is like, cause we had our own training rooms. We had our own security guys. We had our own chefs. Basically I could call down anytime. Say I want this made and they run it right up to Brian. Um, so it was, it was pretty nice. A it's lot of also... times you're just like on your own, surprising enough, even for high level UFC fights, you're just like, you go to cut weight and you're like, where's the song? They're like, I don't know. I don't have a song. Yeah. Like, Jesus. Yeah. And it seemed like, and I mean, obviously you can correct me, but it seemed like from watching all of the like embeddeds and all these things that even though there's obviously a lot of um, like strict protocol that people have to do to, you know, to keep things safe or whatever. Um, and the fact that there weren't fans and all that kind of sad stuff, but it also kind of seemed like within that little community, that fight Island community that was created, like the fighters almost, it was like a bit more like intimate and cool, like, because it was just them. It's like this like cool sort of like Olympic village just for fighters. Like people were almost more chill, like hanging out together, that beautiful pool area. It's like sort of just people hanging out and like talking to each other. It's seemed more chill than normal mm, i'd probably say no yes and no okay because it really depended on the person and it yeah. depended on the time you're fighting so a lot of us like us we had to fight uh, basically we had to flip a chronology so we were sleeping during the day and fighting and up at night mm. so we weren't really doing any of that stuff and then some people you know introvert extrovert kind of thing like some of the athletes wanted to just like chill and stay the hell away from everybody else and the others wanted to be out there and there so it was a little it was i'd say it was polar 
Yeah. Um, it was much more to the extremes than it normally was. Um, some people got to embrace that, like Lauren, who's there the next week, was totally like what you're mentioning. Um, with Brian, we honestly, we didn't leave the hotel room for like seven or eight straight days. Shit. Because we had our own training room right there. Like in the room, we had another separate training room next door. We legit did not leave for, for seven days. We were like, man, we should probably go outside. So like, talk about the process of having to switch like you're essentially completely switching your i don't know circadian yeah. rhythm for a period of time yeah. like how far back did that start how do you do it is it just a matter of like gradually over time or you get there and you immediately switch how does that work so we plan this stuff i we i planned this stuff out um probably a month before and we started four weeks out uh, making sure that we were training our main training session at similar to fight time Okay. And it worked out okay because Brian was a main event. So his fight was around 8 p.m. California time. So we had our heart, we moved our schedule so that that was when our main training session was. So he was going to bed at like 3 a.m., waking up, you know, 10 or 11, something like that. But that's exactly fight schedule, right? That's, he's a main event fighter. He's going to be fighting 7, 8, 9 p.m. Yeah. You want to be peaked physically. You want to be feeling most energetic around that, which typically happens something like eight hours into your day, kind of plus or minus. Um, what do you, how, how do you feel about, or how was it for you watching? And then also for Brian fighting with no, uh, with no audience, because like I've been watching for the past essentially year now, as the UFC has been one of the only, um, yeah. sports that was able to really kind of turn this around and create an option for, for the fighters to continue and for the fans to continue watching. And at first it was very eerie and it was kind of sad, but then you sort of notice that for a lot of people, it's like their performance was almost better. Or again, it seemed yeah. like maybe the stress was a little bit less. You could hear the coaches, you could hear the, the sound of people's bodies hitting each other. Like it was different in kind of a cool way. Yeah. Um, but I would imagine depending on who you are you either really really miss that 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 crowd or you're kind of relieved they're not there how was yeah. it for him he is it, it was a perfect advantage for us because brian himself is he's such an unbelievably cerebral fighter mm. um more so than probably any athlete i've ever been around his fight iq and his um his processing in fight is, is so insanely high and so because of that, he is very good at paying attention to the corner. And so they were able to give him really specific and clear instructions and they could hear and it wasn't like the mayhem wasn't there. So things just got quiet, if you will. And in addition, the opponent we were fighting is the exact opposite. Not that Zombie is not cerebral and smart or anything like that, but he is clearly a guy who thrives on big moments, big explosions. So that got taken away from him. It got moved to our advantage there. So it was... Brian loved it. Um, it was really, really nice. And also because of Brian's situation, he was coming back off of being away from two years and hadn't been in there. There was a lot of doubt in other people's minds and frankly, some in his own mind, right? Like, is this whole thing that we spent a year building? I mean, he threw, if you don't know his story, he threw everything away training wise, fired his entire team, handed it over to me and said, steer this whole ship. And he took a huge, huge, huge gamble on that built new coaches and coaches that had never worked with each other to go before entirely new system, handed it over and said, let's go. And so part of him was still like, how the hell is this going to work? So to be able to have everything sit there and be able to think, think through everything, hear the stuff and pay attention. Um, and for everything else to go away, like we didn't have to also add on the stress of the walkout. We didn't have to add the stress yeah. of the crowd out. Just things got simplified and 
he's he's a natural fighter so that part of it doesn't like he doesn't need the crowd to get him over that anxiety because yeah. fighting is incredibly normal to him he doesn't get that shaken by it um so he was able to fight uh, the last thing on that he also personally um like because he likes fighting so much he likes to go tit for tat kind of stuff and that has failed him in the past miserably i don't know if we would have this discuss getting away from that like we did in this fight when the crowd starts to go you know you get a big shot and the crowd starts to amp up like his instincts are just fire back let's go bite the mouthpiece let's go let's see who's harder and we, we of course wanted to avoid that and not having the crowd i think helped us um, and it happened a couple times but then he was like he did what we trained him to do with his breath and stuff and he come back down and he got recentered. I think that would have been harder with, with the crowd there. So um, mm. the nice part is we get to, next time we get to do it again. So we're back on Fight Island. So yeah. When is nice. when is that? When's the next fight? I can't tell you yet. Oh, oh, it's not it's not announced yet. No, it's a title fight, but it's, it's gonna be back on Fight Island. Okay, that's exciting. Um, yeah, which I'm super happy about because now we figured out all the kinks. Yeah. You yeah. know the sleep stuff you talked about, everything, all the little stuff that happened. Now we know the system. So. How do you end up working with fighters? Is it a matter of them reaching out to you generally? Always. Yeah. Okay. Them or their management or something like that. I, I never, Yeah. I never do the opposite. Okay. Um, I want to talk about weight cutting a little bit. Cause I just, I find that part fascinating. I mean, obviously I have a little bit of bodybuilding background, so I understand the sort of limited amount of time getting to an unsustainable weight for a very specific reason and then kind of trying to get out of it in a healthy way of course i would do it over the period of like three to four months whereas a lot of these fighters are doing it in like 10 days or 24 hours depending on you know who they are uh, um, yes and no it's a, it's a three-part process it is the three months out it is monday to thursday and then is the thursday last day so you can think of it that way Right. Cause the last, like the last few hours or a day or whatever, that's water weight. No one's losing fat. You know, no one's trying to like lean out at that point. It's just you manipulating water at that stage. Mostly water. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have there been improvements in being able to do this in a healthy way? I mean, I think a lot of people who, who watch the sport as fans still think it's a little bit nuts, right? Because you you're going to a, a weight that is ridiculous and it's unhealthy for you to get there. And then you're immediately pumping yourself back up so that you're not even the weight that you say yeah. you are when you're fighting. It's, it's just kind of a weird system, right? That just sort of continues for whatever reason. Um, ha has there been sort of changes in understanding and protocol recently that is making this a little bit less of a terrible process? Yes, I do believe that they've gotten better. The probably first and foremost is the realization of brain hydration. So prior uh, to seven or years ago or something like that, it was really about getting you know body weight down. And it's like, okay, we know we understand how long it takes to replenish muscle glycogen, right? So this is the, the amount of carbohydrates you store in your muscle, which gives it's the primary energy source for a sport like MMA. So if you deplete all that by going, say, very low carb or just low food in general, you're going to feel terrible. So you have to replenish your energy stores. The second part of that is water storage, but we only really considered water storage in the organs and muscle and didn't really think about the fact that it was in the brain. So if it takes say 24 hours to restore muscle glycogen, but it takes 36 hours to restore brain hydration, then you're walking into a fight, very, very dehydrated up here, which means you get knocked out faster and it tends to be more severe. And so that has changed a little bit of how we cut the weight into saying, look, we're, we should probably give up a little bit more performance-wise, meaning burn more muscle glycogen, deplete the muscles a little bit more so that we preserve the brain because you can kind of teeter that, you know, like where you cut the water from. 
um, because that is overall health-wise going to be better for them. And even arguably performance-wise, it's an advantage if you're not being stopped because of, you know, getting rocked or wobbled or, or actually knocked out. So uh, it is improved. I think with the advent of the UFC Performance Institute and Clint Wattenberger, uh, Reed Real, um, just so many of the people that are that have done the science behind this stuff and just put the education forward, this is like, okay, there are some things about the fact that you're going to cut 15 pounds in a matter of hours that is just never going to be good for you. Yeah. But we can do it in a way that doesn't put you in a hospital bed then or um, you know, the next day or the following Monday. So I think it has improved a lot. You still see some, some nightmare stuff happening, but some of the generally horrifically bad practices are, are going away. Um, at least the, the, they're seeing, you're seeing them less and less frequently. Okay. And what about the difference for weight cutting um, for women? Because I mean, on one hand, we know women tend to carry more fat. It's less healthy for us to be super, super lean. On the other yeah. hand, a lot of these women are, you know, they're not average women. I mean, we're talking about really high level athletes that tend to be more muscle, less, you know, less fat and stuff like that anyway. But yeah. is, are there differences in how women should be approaching these weight cuts or no? Yes and no. Globally, it's the same process. Uh, you just have to scale it appropriately. So example being, if I had someone cutting to 125 pounds, it was a man versus someone cutting to 125 pound female. Um, I would want that female to come in Monday of fight week. So this is now five days out a little bit lower. Yeah. Um, and that's just not because they can't, or they're not tough enough or anything like that. It's just, you have more potential things get in the way. If nothing happens, they'll both cut e pretty much equally, but if something pops up, you, you just can't fix it. And clearly what I'm kind of getting around is the menstrual cycle is a godsend and it's, it's a nightmare Yeah, because it can really, me, really help. <laughs> <laughs> it can really, really help the process. If you, if it's timed, awesome, but it can also just, it can end things. It can cost you five, six pounds, which in the weight cut, like this is everything. This goes from even three pounds is the difference between perfect weight cut. This was the easiest of my life. And oh my God, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're doing as is little as like three pounds. So is there a way to manipulate? I mean, you, cause you can't time your period around when you're going to fight. Right. Like, so it's no. really just kind of like your, your, the luck of the draw with timing wise. Pretty much. Shit. You know, it kind of sucks. So if you have someone who's really regular seven to eight weeks out, I'll start looking things and going, okay. All right. Now this changes how we have to approach the seven week thing, because it looks like we're going to land right around, you know, Christmas time here. So this is going to be all right. Um, but a lot of them are, are so irregular that yeah. you're just hoping. <laughs> yeah. That's, you're hoping it's not holding five extra pounds of water that day. That is nuts. I didn't even think about that. I mean, obviously I've thought about it before in terms of like, can you imagine like your PMS or like you start your period the day of the fight? Like, can you imagine? But oh, yeah. I guess we've been there. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Okay. Go back worst, to honestly worse is starting it like the day of weight cut. <sighs> It's over and you're staring down the barrel of like an eight pound water cut. And you're just uh, like, fuck, I started my period. And you're like, oh my God, here we go. The worst. Yeah. How, how about you? You mentioned something about there are sort of ways to manipulate like water loss from like the muscles yeah. or the body only versus the brain. How do you do that? So muscle carries carbohydrate, right? And carbohydrate also carries water with it. So if you are in a high carbohydrate store uh, situation, so you have a lot of muscle glycogen, you're going to be holding a lot of water in your muscle. So if you just start to cut water, it's going to come kind of equally from everywhere, right? But if you first deplete that glycogen, 
then a greater proportion of it will come from the muscle and less from the brain. So that's what you would do is, is do you want to cut a little bit of muscle glycogen? Do you want to cut a lot of muscle glycogen or do you want to pretty much clean it out? And yeah. the faster you can get that out of there, the faster the water will come directly from the muscle and not the organs and particularly the brain. Okay. So it right. depends. Are you fighting a three, five minute? Are you fighting three rounds? Mm -hmm. Are you fighting five rounds? Is it a boxing match where you're fighting 12 rounds? So 36 minutes of fight time versus 25 versus 15. So this can change. Is it judo? Is it jujitsu? Like, do we have three or four matches in a day, like in wrestling? Um, so th these all change, in my opinion, the equation. If you're in a combat sport where head trauma is the object, that changes from a sport like jujitsu, where it's it may happen tangentially, but it's not the primary point. So you could probably get away with running that risk a little bit higher, but you don't want your muscles to gas out. Yeah. So it kind of depends on the sport, the person, the timing, amateur, you know. Um, 21 years old, 38 years old, these things change the equation. Yeah. Also, again, tell me about it as someone <laughs> who's in their, I don't know, 30s, somewhere along that line. But I have to say, I have to say, one of the things that I love about it's with MMA, but with a lot of sports these days, now more than ever, we're seeing older athletes really performing at an incredibly high level. And it's not, I mean, you still hear this like, oh, they're the oldest person out there at 31 and it makes you feel sad, but you're also seeing, you know, 43 year old quarterbacks and you're seeing 40 year old fighters and they're not kind of just hanging in there. They're still like performing incredibly well. And I guess that has a lot to say for, you know, technology and, and training and nutrition habits and things like that, where we're just able to kind of um, be healthier longer, I guess. What are, what are you think are some of the like key things that people who are not 21 anymore, but still want to be really high level, or at least in, you know, in, in our world, like high level athletes doesn't mean that we're professional athletes. It just means that we're like, we're out there crushing it. Even if we have regular day jobs and stuff like that, what are some of the like key things that people who aren't 22 anymore should be focusing on? So the, the answer is always the same. When we talk about human performance and training, you're trying adaptation comes as a result of stress yes. period more stress more adaptation that's the equation and it never changes however you hit a rate of limiting right or or actually detriment if you can't recover there so what you're actually often limited by is your ability to recover so the question becomes what's part of that equation do you want to play with do you want to spend more resources on recovering more will that allow you to train more or do you want to simply not do that because you don't have time money whatever then you have to back it off from the stress side or you can play both sides of the equation. And, and again, the answer changes depending on money. So I have some athletes where money is just not an issue, like yeah. almost at all. And so we tend to maximize the recovery side. What that mean? What's that mean? Um, we track extensively a number of things. So I have one particular athlete, Trevor Bauer, just won the Cy Young award. And we spend a tremendous amount of money and time on tracking a host of metrics daily. He has an analytics person uh, on his team that he pays to full time. Like this is what they do. Um, me, other folks that we do this and we're basically monitoring him 24 seven in days, off days, anything changes, we can very quickly respond and, and uh, alter training recovery. He can of course get unlimited amounts of massage work, body work, physical, anything in that realm, right? Chiropractic, you name the sports med part of it. It's, it's unlimited to him and access. And even if he has to hire somebody and he wants to fly Ashley, you know, out to Denver for tonight to get a massage and then fly her back. I can, he can do that. Do like it just doesn't matter what he has to have happen. Right. It doesn't just blow money, but right. if it's in the season or whatever, like these are unlimited, you can't, you contrast that with some of my fighter 
say Zoe Lafrasto, who's hasn't had a fight in a couple of years because opponents keep dropping on her. Like she's, you know, these organizations that aren't as structured, like she doesn't have any of that. So we have to work with her on the nutrition side and the training side. We have to be strategic about dosing stress. Um, we have to look at both the total amount of workouts you're doing, the type of workouts, how many repetitive actions are you doing? We have to balance that with, um, you know, you're not, she's 30, I don't know. You can look it up, I guess, but she's not in her young thirties nonetheless. So she's a world champion of multiple sports. She's been around for a long time. So we have to, you know, we, we don't have $20,000 a month. We can spend on recovery with her. Mm-hmm. We have to take it out of that side. Or do you want to take it out of the food side? Because remember normal folks like you and I, we can just eat more calories. That helps when you're trying to lose 20 pounds, you cannot do that. So calories go down, which means nutrients go down. Um, you can only supplement your way around that for so long. So, you know, like saying, Oh, well, get an infrared sauna. Like, not going to happen, right? Like we don't have those resources. Oh, get uh, this, start doing this. Don't have the time. Why? Because you have to work a job as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of those things that the, you'll hear the, the kind of hackers and stuff say, they're just not feasible for many of these athletes um, or many folks in general or not all of them. Yeah. Um, and they're questionable accuracy anyways. So we have to just dose those things appropriately. And what does that dosage mean? It's different for every person. So you can track that a bunch of ways, but my recommendation to folks is start looking at something. And, and start paying attention. Maybe it's just the amount of workouts you do per week. Maybe it's how many minutes you're working out. You, eventually you'll start to figure out what's the metric that pushes you past the limit, right? Is it how many times you squat per week? Is it how heavy you lift? It's the average percent. Like you can look at something, you know, minutes running per week, something will jump out of you after a few weeks where you're like, this is the damn thing. Once I hit this number, I always start to break. I got to stay back past that. There's still, there's like a big mental aspect of this too. And I feel like that's one of the bigger differences between like elite professional athletes who have to take care of themselves for a living versus yeah. people, average regular people who have jobs, but this is their passion. This is what they do in their spare time and yeah. for fun. People have a really hard time with the recovery thing. Like everyone has that. We've got that weird, like little narcissistic thing in our head where we like hear advice and we understand it, but we just still don't think it really applies to us. Um, and I, I have this like really, really pessimistic approach to this that I've said before on the podcast where I'm like, I feel like people won't hear this until they've already burnt out and hit rock bottom. And like, you know, like you have to hit some point in your thirties where you're so crippled or in pain or sore or whatever that you have to hear what you should have probably been doing, um, years ago. But I also hear this really specifically a lot for women. And again, I'm speaking about like recreational athletic women where like I did a workshop earlier in the pandemic and we were talking to all these like really hard charging women who have families and full-time jobs. And then they're doing like CrossFit workouts six days a week. And, you know, I'm asking them, I'm like, what do you have a harder time with? Like food prepping, finding time to work out, finding time to recover. And they're all just like, oh, there's no time to recover. There's no time. And I'm like, I do not believe you respectfully. If you have time to do an hour long CrossFit every day, you know, work out, then you can probably recover, but you don't want to. So how do we, I guess, it, it, is the answer just let them burn out? Like I said, let them burn out and then learn. Or is there is there another way we can get through to people? What I'm not a do? believer in being able to change people's opinions much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I don't really think there, um, to me, it is an ownership issue. Yeah. Right, it's having very and I will do this also It's another part of the program that I use. You have clear, candid conversations, right? Like you're not getting this goal. You've hired me to help you get to this goal. I'm telling you 
the reason you're not getting to this goal is because of X. Do, are you willing to change X? No. Okay. Our relationship is over then. Yeah. Yeah. Or if you want to keep paying me and not change, that's fine too. I'm right. not going to answer your emails or texts or anything, but you can keep paying me. That's fine. <laughs> but that, that's what it is, right? It's like, you're not hitting your goal, right? Yeah. And you're saying you don't have this. Like, are you willing to change your schedule? Are you willing to hire a nanny? Are you willing to hire a pro- food prep service so you can have more time? Are you willing to work out less? No. Right. So you've identified this problem. You've identified the solutions or a whole host of possible solutions. You're not willing to do any of them. What the fuck are we doing? Yeah. That's an ownership. You don't want to change. I'm out. Like, I don't have time for that. I don't care. Yeah. It's not my passion. Yeah. I don't need your money. Hey, friends, bear with me for a quick second while I tell you about the company that made today's episode possible. It's going to be relevant to you, I promise. Uh, These are my friends over at Bioptimizers. They make gut health supporting products um, that are some of the highest quality, most effective that I certainly have ever tried, which is why I support them now and they support me really well. Um, They have a range of products, including their most popular, the ones that I'm using all the time, masszymes, uh, digestive enzymes, and their probiotic product. They also have a magnesium product that's really great. Um, they have another uh, gut health promoting collagen powder that's chocolate flavored that I take in the morning because of course it's chocolate flavored. It's awesome. But all of their products, they've probably got a, a dozen, are all about promoting gut health. And I started taking their stuff at the very beginning of the P word, the pandemic last year, because that was a while ago now. And um, it was when I was stuck inside, stress was really high. My food was great. I mean, my lifestyle was as on point as it could be when you're stuck inside the house, but I was experiencing some gut health related issues, some weird symptoms that I'd never had before. And I started taking their products religiously and it made an incredible difference like a significant difference. I almost couldn't believe how impressive it was. And I've been using it on and off ever since, mostly when I need to support my health around times of stress or travel, or if I'm kind of off my diet or my lifestyle in any way. Um, But these are products that you can be taking all the time and they have made a a huge difference in my life. And so that's why I want to pass that information along to you guys. So you can head to bioptimizers.com or you can just click the link in the show notes and you can use the discount code, you guessed it, Muscle Maven for a discount. Work on that gut health. It is important. Thanks guys for listening. Back to the show. Great. I like that. Okay. What are some cheap uh, approaches to recovery that don't involve buying an infrared sauna, getting body? Yeah, I don't work think every you need any of that stuff. We yeah. have done a tremendous amount of recovering for people who train 16 times a week. I don't mean 16 minutes or hours. I mean, they have 16 training sessions that are hard as shit all week yeah. Yeah. and get plenty of recovery. And these people have no resources whatsoever. Yeah. Right? So you have everything at your disposal. It's, it starts with the boring, cliche stuff that I don't want to go over because it's a waste of time. Are you sleeping? (laughs) Like, you know, that's the case, right? Like all this stuff. Um, Okay. Those, let's say you've checked off that box. You're sleeping now. Most likely you're not, but we'll get there. Okay. Um, Hydration there are, is food on point? All those things. Okay. Right. Can you get some sort of manual therapy stuff on your own self? Foam rollers and things like that are not that expensive these days. Right. Um, other options, can you barter? Can you exchange service with somebody who can do body work, right? So whatever your skill set is, can you do their accounting for them? And then you'll work with the, their physical therapist. Like those things are other options if you're just like, I don't have the resources for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is you have to have downtime. 
Yeah. Right. So independent of sleep, just simply having some downtime. The other biggest thing that we find, and this is our, I would say sleep is number one, but this is number two above all that. And I saved it for the end on purpose. The best recovery tool we have found by far is a hundred percent free and will always be free. Just breathing. We have found so much success in strategic intentional manipulation of breath. It's just shocking. We've seen improvements in sleep quality. So this is say the number of hours you're sleeping is matched. I only have seven total hours because I got to get up and work, get my kids going to school like I have to. Cool. But the quality within that seven hours, and I I just went through this with one guy. Um, He was was averaging probably about an hour on a good day of deep and REM sleep, oftentimes 30 minutes or less. So even if he was getting seven and a half hours of sleep, he's in bed for nine hours to accomplish seven hours of sleep. He's really getting, I mean, sometimes 30 minutes or less. Um, He's gotten now to an average of two, two hours and 15 minutes of deep and REM sleep a night. Same amount of time in bed, same amount of total sleep hours. The only thing we changed is breath work. So he does a little bit of breath work. It's about six minutes in the morning. He does a short pre-workout thing. And most importantly, a post-workout breathing routine. Again, five minutes, six minutes. That's a lie, right? Six minutes. Um, And then he does some breath stuff. It's about 20 minutes before bed. That's the only thing we changed. And this is a very high stressed individual with like real big time money, you know, situations. Mm-hmm. He's not, so his threshold is incredibly high. Um, all the things that come with being very rich and he's very famous as well. So you guys are like, well, he's famous. He sits around like, no, he has the worst end of fame right now. Yeah. Um, so that's all we did. And it has made a, a huge change. So if you want to really recover and you don't want to spend the time on all that stuff, breath work is, is your easiest, quickest solution that's free. Do you, what do you, uh, recommend? Do you have anything on your website that we can follow? Or is it like, we're talking box breathing? Like what, what do you. Yeah. So it depends on your bandwidth. I don't have anything actually up. Um, if you want to just start with something like box breathing, fine. Cool. Uh, The biggest key is downregulation. So what we've seen pretty clearly, the folks that can downregulate post-exercise the fastest get the best adaptation. So let me spell that out for you. You and I both do the exact same workout, but we're actually just like DNA clones, right? We're the same exact person. That checks out. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. I just shaved my beard, so it actually looks <laughs> fun. Um, we do the exact same workout, sleep, and all the factors are the same, identical. The only difference we have is you downregulate. So you get from your sympathetic fight or flight system down to your rest and digest system faster after the workout than I did. I say after 10 weeks, improved by 10% of whatever we're looking at, you will have gotten 12 or 14 or 15%. So you get more results from the exact same workout by just spending time calming down after the workout. A major problem we see is people like the CrossFit mom you described, it's fight or flight in the morning. It's fight or flight all day. It's fight as hell flight in your CrossFit workout, particularly those are gnarly, right? The whole point of those, why they're so addicting is because they get you in this endorphin rush. And then it's okay. Break. Okay. Got to go grab the baby. Got to go change the thing. Got to get dinner going. And then at night, you're like, Oh my God, I'm exhausted. I haven't slept. And you know, I slept for four hours last night, but I can't fall asleep. Yeah. It's very, very simple to fix this problem. You have to downregulate post-exercise. You can't go right back into your stressful calls. You can't go right back into this. 
stuff. So even if that means you take your hour long workout, make it to 40, make it to 50, save the last 10 minutes, save the last six minutes, down-regulate. We see greater adaptations. We also see, again, um, better long-term recovery and better sleep quality, um, all these things. So that, that's, that's the thing you have to get to uh, is it on regulation. So going back to your original question about the resources, if you want to really dive hard into this, there's a whole number of books you can read on this topic. Um, we actually have a study we finished and it's, it's in review. So I'll, I'll probably post it up once it comes out. Um, but there are lots of people who are, that I defer to um, experts, Brian McKenzie, mm-hmm. uh, the, his art of breath stuff. And now it's called shift, like change, shift state. Uh, like shift your state, change your state, your mood, if you will. Um, XPT, all the stuff we've done with those folks. So they're different flavors. I fully support both of the systems they have. And there's lots of other people that are that are doing it. So um, I think all both of those folks have platforms, apps, and websites and stuff you can go to that have starter kits and and, and all those things. Um, and, and all the folks that work with Brian, are they're so good about putting out content of like saying, hey, you never done breath work, want to get started? Here you go. Uh, and the last one I'll mention is the Health and Human Performance Foundation, which is a nonprofit centered around learning the mostly psychological, but other physiological benefits um, health-wise, not performance, but really health-related of various aspects of breath work. So uh, all those are places you could go to to learn more. I actually did uh, an XPT with Brian and Montauk like a couple years ago, and we did all the different types of breathing, including that like holotropic one where you get all like high and I was like, man, who needs drugs? This shit's amazing. Like I want, and I know it's not like safe or whatever. That's what Brian and Laird Hamilton were telling me. So I guess I got to believe it. But I was like, you guys really need to do like a YouTube video of like, so I can follow along and just get it, like they have that doped out of my head. Okay, yeah. I, I I will pay all the, the money for it. Cause I'm like, if I can feel like this just yeah. from myself and my breathing, I don't have to take any crazy weird drugs. Like I am sold and they're like, you shouldn't be doing this every day. And I'm like, I promise I won't. <laughs> It's it's incredible. I mean, and you're reminding me again, like I hear this all the time about the breathing thing, because one of my, like my biggest, personally, my biggest health issue, and I think I can speak to this because a lot of listeners probably have the same one, is I like am never downregulated ever. Like I have, yeah. and of course I don't have kids yet. So I, I that's the caveat, but like, I've never been tired in my life. Like I'm never tired and it's bad. Like I must get, I must get good sleep, even though it takes me forever because I never want to nap. I'm never tired. But like I was doing for a while when things were open, I was doing jujitsu classes and I was doing them in the evening. So like 630, yeah. 7.30. And then I'm going home exactly like you said, I'm literally like, just like vibrating all night. Like, cause I, can't, I, of course I'm like, I feel like I'm being murdered and then I, it does, the feeling doesn't go away. So th- this concept of just even spending, I don't know, like, what do you think? Like 10 minutes? at the end, kind of just focusing only on breathing, that's going to make a significant difference. Yep. Okay. Yep. I really do. Like, it doesn't take that, um, it doesn't take that long, that much, um, to get back down. So you could do it too, time saver. Uh, you could do it in your car if you're driving back, if you had to, right. You you could do it in the locker room as you're getting changed. Like it really doesn't take that much time to get in there. So it's worth it. What do you think about the, um, taping your mouth shut while you sleep thing? Yeah, dope. I mean, learning how to breathe through your nose, if you have a problem with that, is, is going to be very helpful. Yeah. Okay. It's not hard. There's lots of tape you can buy that has that have little slits or slots or filters almost in the middle. So you won't like, <gasps> it's yeah. not like, don't take duct tape and close your whole nose. Yeah. Like, you don't have to go to that extreme. A lot of people mm-hmm. think that you're like, oh my God, it's like, I can't breathe. 
you'll you'll be you'll be uh, fine there. But yeah, that that can be very helpful for folks. Uh, I'm not as like crazy about it as some people are, but I, I do think in general, if you can't breathe through your nose, th there's room to grow there. Mm -hmm. Okay, let's go back to the hydration thing again, because you have put out a lot of information about this and it's obviously, as with everything, more complicated than you think. So most of us think, okay, hydration means drink your water and drink whatever yeah. X amount of ounces per your body weight, whatever, and you'll be fine. Um, of course, that's not the case. Of course, it's more complicated than that. Tell me why it's more complicated than that. Because I'm not, like, I'm, this is again, like my number one issue. I literally drink like an iced coffee in the morning and then I forget about drinking until like 6 PM. And then I am a nightmare. So the mm. thing I've done, <laughs> the thing that I've done, cause I know it's not about like, if you just drink water, if you just chug water, cause I yeah. know I've done this water manipulation thing for bodybuilding too. You're just, it's going right through you. Like you're not absorbing any of that. It's not doing anything. So it's about, it's more about like, I guess the electrolytes that you're actually taking in. So I've been drinking like electrolyte water to force myself to drink water. That's what this is. Um, yeah. But yeah, walk me through that, why we're doing it all wrong. Okay, so I'll give you the short version and then we can follow up with anyone's. Um, I have about two or maybe three hours of videos on YouTube walking you through this in extreme detail. And then I have like a all that condensed into like a 20 minute one or something like that. But it's still, you're like, geez, 20 minutes. Can I have the one minute version? <laughs> Just sure. tell me what I should be drinking and how much and make it yeah. easy for me. Yeah. So in those videos, it walks you through how to individualize this. That's the whole point of saying like, measure this, pay attention to this, watch this. If you really want to tailor and, and perfect and optimize your own hydration. So if you've ever seen your heard me on anything, I hate giving blanket recommendations. Mm -hmm. I always want you to figure it out and optimize it yourself, but that's what those videos are for. So in general, starting off with how much pure water to drink. So I think you can break hydration into three parts. Part one, how much water you just drink throughout the day. Part two, how much water you drink during your workouts. And part three, how much you drink post-workout. Um, so if you're not working out for the day, that equation gets a little bit easier. Um, now, people will say things like drink half your body weight in ounces per day of water. Okay, so you weigh 150 pounds. Half your body weight is 75 pounds. So drink that many, not 75 ounces, right? Uh, or, sorry, drink 75 ounces, right? 16 ounces in a pound. So you're talking five pounds of water or so a, a day. That's three quarters of a gallon, right? That's close to your eight cups of water. So that lands pretty close to that, like, oh, drink eight cups of water a day thing. It, th th those are not the worst pieces of advice we've ever given people with health, right? We've made far bigger mistakes. So it's not terrible, but it depends on your diet. If you eat a diet rich in waterous foods, vegetables, fruits, um, you don't need to drink as much exogenous water because you're getting a lot. Uh, most fruit, most food is 90 plus percent water. Fruits and vegetables are 95 percent. Even eggs are incredibly high water. Meat. What about like meat? Yeah, I was gonna say meat. 65 percent yeah. typically. Okay, great. So in your muscle right now, it's probably like 75 to 80. But by the time you take it out and cook it, you lose that little bit of 10. Yeah, you know, like you cook it, you're gonna lose some water. Mm -hmm. um, so cooked meat is typically lands in the 65 percent range. So it's still mostly water. Um, you get to like a biscuit. Those are like 3%. I like that you use that example specifically. I was like, all right, standard American diet. Let's biscuits. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't eat, don't eat mostly biscuits and you'll probably yeah. be okay. Hydration wise. Well, if you know how, you know how to bake it all, you understand what like biscuits are very different than bread. Yeah. And that it's a special thing. You, 
anyway, so they're good though. Mm. Yeah, of course. Especially when you smother them in gravy. Oh my God. Butter. Oh yeah. Deer sauce water with your biscuit. (laughs) Exactly. Um, so if you eat a diet, that's more akin to standard, um, 2020 diet where it's high in processed food. The problem is processed is synonymous typically with salt. Okay. It's also synonymous with dehydration. So they've salted it and they've dehydrated it a little bit. And the people that tend to consume diets like that are the people who tend to be less physically active. So it's not that salt is bad for you. We just talked about, Hey, put electrolytes in there. That's good. Uh, But when you are inactive and you're eating excessive amounts of salt, salt is very problematic, right? There's a clear link between that and all kinds of cardiovascular and other blood pressure and obesity problems. If you are physically active, people tend to be undersalted. Yeah. Because you have this swing, right? Not only are you physically active, you're losing a lot of salt in your sweat, but now you're also probably not eating nearly, I mean, digits less, at least a digit less salt in your food because apples don't have salt in them, mm-hmm. right? Meat doesn't have salt in it that much once you cook it. So you add a little bit of salt to taste, but not much. So people that are on probably more like your end of the spectrum, highly physically active, really solid, fresh, mostly fresh whole real food diets, you probably need to add exogenous salt. You need that to put in there because number one, if you have, you can imagine your blood has salt and water in it. Okay. And your muscle has salt and water in it. If you simply drink water, the amount in your blood gets diluted. So you put a lot of water in there and the amount of salt is very, very low. So your body registers that as you being overhydrated. And so it tells you to excrete that fluid. And so this is why you drink water, you start peeing, you know, like it's glacier water. Well, you're not having typically enough salt in that case. So you want your drink cocktail to be the same concentration as your blood, if you will, which means a little bit of salt in there, unless you have an excessively high salt diet, then you want to use something like a diuretic to get some of that stuff out of there. So most people though could use that are physically active could use just by extra making sure they liberally salt most of their food. Mm -hmm. If you want to use something like an electrolyte pack to encourage more fluid consumption, because one thing we know is two things that heavily determine how much water you'll drink throughout the day. Number one, how available is it? Meaning, is it directly in your line of sight? Mm -hmm. Because you'll just forget about it. Mm -hmm. Right. And number two, can you encourage that with flavor? People are much more likely to drink it. If you put a little bit of flavor in it, electrolyte, put a, uh, put a piece of, um, cucumber in there, add a strawberry, whatever the hell the thing needs to be, you'd be shocked how much more water you drink. If you just cut a strawberry and throw it in your water glass, you'll chug it immediately. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So make sure it's in front of your eyeballs and make sure that it it tastes something really like looking forward to drinking. So that is a good start. Um, Then when it comes to part two, which is the fluid during your workout, you can do the easy version here. It's not perfectly accurate, but it's pretty close. Weigh yourself naked. Go to your workout, dry off, weigh yourself naked again. That tells you exactly how much fluid that you just lost. It's not uncommon for someone in a jiu-jitsu practice of your size, what are you, like 140, something like that? Excuse me, sir. Oh, God. No, like 130. Yeah, you're, you're pretty close. <laughs> you're fucking buff, dude. I thought you... It's true, I am. But I'm also short, but anyway. Yes. Uh, well, whatever, yeah. you're buff. I thought. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you probably would, like losing two pounds during a jiu-jitsu workout I mean, even two and a half to three wouldn't mm. like, I, I'd be like, that's pretty normal, depending on if you're a big sweater or not a big sweater. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my fighters will lose five, six pounds in a workout yeah. like fairly consistently. And they do that twice to three times a day. 
So if you lose three pounds in your workout, you need to drink about 125 to 150% of that. So the quick version would be if you've lost uh, three pounds in your workout, drink four pounds back. Okay. Because you know, you're going to lose some of that back with pee. Right. You're not going to absorb it all, mm-hmm. especially if it's pure water. Um, if you can add some electrolytes to that, you'll absorb more, mm-hmm. but that's the easy solution. So making sure 125% or so to 150% um, of the water that you drink back is the way to go. Um, now that's just to replenish what you lost in the workout. If your workout is particularly long and you think you might lose 2% or more of your body weight. So again, you weigh 130 now. So Spelt you know, 130. No, not really. <laughs> anyway. 1% would be 1.3 pounds, right? 2% being 2.5 pounds. Okay. Anytime you lose more than about 2% in the workout, you will see, start to see reductions in performance, both like cardiovascular as well as skill. Um, so fine skill goes down. So if you're doing, say, like a, an endurance event or a ride or something like even a jiu-jitsu tournament, something where you feel like you're going to have to sustain your performance with that loss, then you need to drink fluids during the workout. Okay, so not just that. And the easy number that I'll give you is just take your body weight and divide it by 30. Okay. Okay, so what's 130 divided by 30? We'll call it like four. Yeah, four-ish. Ish, right? So that's how many milliliters of water to drink every 15 minutes. So four milliliters every 15 minutes. Do you know how much four milliliters is? Mm, no. Like this much. Yeah, it's not much. It's a small amount. Yeah. Yeah. It's a like if you're gulps. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. So if every 15 minutes you took a couple of gulps of water, if you wanted the body weight divided by 30 number that I made up, fine. If you want to just think, all right, a couple of gulps every 15 minutes. So over the course of an hour for you, four times four would be 16. That'd be drinking 16 ounces of water every hour you're training. Okay. For you, your body weight like that. Now we'd have to figure out what you're actually, if you're a high sweater, low sweater or whatever, if you're lifting weights, it's a lot lower. If you're, you know, cycling in Arizona in July, it's a lot higher. Mm Jiu-jitsu is high though, because you're wearing a gi or not and you're rolling over, you sweat like crazy typically. So but those are rough numbers where you can start to tailor um, things. If you do that, you will feel a whole lot better. And guess what? You will recover astronomically better. Mm-hmm. Astronomically, that's not even close to word. Astronomically? Astronomically better. There it is. Yeah. Do you have any uh evidence, or is this totally one of those like it's genetic and it completely depends um about sweating, sweating, like how sweaty you are and how good of an athlete you are? Like I know that there's like if you're super, super untrained. Um, and you like go to the gym and some people like barely sweat at all. And it's maybe because they like, aren't able to even like do like work hard enough to sweat, but then there's like really good athletes who also sweat a lot. So like, what's the deal with like sweating and actual fitness level? Is there any kind of correlation? Okay. So all three, Okay. yes, it's, it's clearly genetic. Okay. There's a pretty big component to that. But if you go back to your, I don't really work out that often. I come to the gym. I don't really, they don't really start to sweat. Yes, of course, if their fitness is so low, they can't actually get much work done. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's typically not what's going to do it because what's happening is their heart rate's probably the same. They're just not doing much work to get to that same heart rate. So what's happening, mm-hmm. they're probably the person eating a very highly processed diet. So they have a ton of salt. So they hold water. The folks that are the, that are the use, right? That you're eating vegetables and fruits and meats and things like that. You start pouring out sweat because you don't have a lot of salt. 
mm. or probably enough systems. So there are several folks I've worked with that I feel like, like we're warming up and you're literally a puddle. And mm. I'm like, all right, you, that's too much. We're not in Mississippi right now. It's not, you know, June. You shouldn't be sweating this much. You're undersalted. That's a dead giveaway. So um, there is plenty of individual differences, um, but you can start to pay attention to things like that. And then uh, in addition, you can train it. So one of the things that we certainly do with the fighters for the weight cut is we train them to be better at sweating. Mm-hmm. Because the better they are at sweating, the more water we can sweat out when it comes time to do that. So we will work on that skill um, by getting them to drink and move in water better. So their body is used to bringing it in, getting it out and processing it through. Um, so if you optimize electrolyte and salt concentrations, you should see, um, you shouldn't be either end of the spectrum, I guess. Okay. In some of your videos, you talk about like this hypo hydration or being like overly hydrated. Is that, is that really a problem that average people have, or is it more maybe athletes who aren't paying attention? Like I, I find it hard to believe that the average person is drinking so much that it's dangerous. Yeah, no, I'm okay. extremely uncommon. So what you're referring yeah. to is hyperhydration, overhydration. Okay. Hyper. okay. Um, is hype? What's hypo? Is that a, not a thing? Low. No, okay. it's low. You're okay. dehydrated. Right? Okay. So if you, if you are hypohydrated, underhydrated, you could be in a dehydrated state. Okay. If you hyperhydrate, you could be like overhydrated, right? Okay. Hyperhydration also causes a phenomenon called hyponatremia. Okay. That's what yeah, it causes. What so okay. natremia being sodium right? Uh, so hyponatremia means low salt. And what that's really caused by is not actually having insufficient salt in your diet. It's because you drink too much pure water. And so are people who are not working physically active going to be in trouble for that? No, uh, but hyponatremia can kill you. And it does every year. We see people Endurance die runners and stuff for sure. Yeah. Ultras, not even ultras, um, triathlons, things like yeah. that. People die every year because they drink too much water during the race. So most folks are not in danger of that. Uh, but we do see, depending on the study you look at, anywhere between 2 to 30% of athletes are hyper or overhydrated to the point of physical detriment in competition. So it is either somewhere between a small to a fairly large problem. Not that most folks are going to die from that, but you are not optimizing your performance if you are overhydrated. Mm. Okay. Do you work with, uh, or do you have any interest in working with like any ultra endurance athletes, like any Ironman athletes, like ultra endurance racers? No, not really. No, okay. no. I mean, not that I'm not impressed by it. Um, yeah. it's just, uh, I'd have so much to learn, Yeah. you know, like I, I would be starting so, so far behind that it would take me, I feel like, you know, a decade to get caught up to where there's probably people out there that don't know, know what they're doing. So like, they should just All right. bring that stuff on. So that's fair. Uh, what are you, we're almost kind of coming to the end here now. So, um, what, uh, what are you doing these days? Like training wise, eating wise, do you have any like personal goals? Or are you just like, let's be healthy. I've got two, you've got two young kids, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So you've got two little babies. Like you're traveling all over the place. Like, do you have any specific goals or are you just like maintenance, staying healthy kind of situation right now? Uh, I don't think I will ever get to the point where maintenance is staying healthy is a desire of mine. Mm, okay. Like I, I, I can't operate like that, dude. <laughs> it's, so like, um, I, I mean, I just love training. Yeah. Like, so I don't like, um, I mean, I, I love sitting on the couch and watching the Seahawks and not doing anything too. Oh, can we not talk about last night? Cause I'm a Larry Fitzgerald fan and I was really disappointed with last night specifically. Okay. I'm glad. That we, 
up because I would have spent the entire hour just talking about <laughs> Seahawks. I'm glad. Actually, I actually like the Seahawks too, but I got to say, it's so like the only sports that I watch are MMA and football. And nice. I, I don't, I, I'm not as big enough of a fan of football that like I have a team. I actually like, like individuals. So yeah. I don't, you know, but Larry's my favorite. And I'm like, how has he not won a ring yet? Like this poor guy, he's so loyal to stupid Arizona. Why can't yeah. he just go join? I don't know the Patriots for a year Seattle? or something or Seattle either way. And just get a, get that poor guy a Super Bowl. Like he's, on. he's one of my favorite players of all time as well. He's the best. He's like the he's, best guy. Everything. Yeah. And also, I mean, if we're talking physique, like I have, I have talked about him in in my stories before about Uh like, like, but okay, listen. Uh Oh, should should my kids cover their ears right (laughs) now? Yes. Yes. You, well then you see, you probably already know what I'm about to say, but I, I can guess. There's trends that come and go with fitness and especially with women, it tends to be very like body part oriented training right and i'm like all these women just all they want is a big ass and they don't care about anything else totally fine do what you got to do right but maybe you might want to consider instead of following some like instagram influencer who just does like plyometric air squats maybe you look at somebody like larry fitzgerald whose butt is ridiculous like what's he doing Literally, I want to know what is he doing <laughs> because yeah. it's even even amongst football players, like they're all like these big, thick, you know, fit, strong leg people. And then like Larry walks past the screen, you're like, holy moly, this guy's glutes are serious. Okay, this yeah. is the most excited I've been the entire time we've been talking. It's a crazy I, understandable. Butt. It's a crazy I, butt. What's he doing? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know his folks. I, I might know his team, but I don't know. I have to think about it. Uh, Whatever he's know. doing. I don't know, heavy sled pushes or something, just being the um, best best wide receiver in the history of the world. I don't know. Trains pretty well. Uh, a lot of sprint work as well. Because folks don't, under, don't appreciate the benefits that sprints get on your hamstrings particularly, mm-hmm. which then allows your glutes to really go. So if you just train glute, 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 and you don't address the hamstring, you're going to reach a limit pretty fast. Yeah. But you will look at his hamstrings and it's like, oh, okay. I'll try. I'll try to look at his hamstrings next time. It's just, it's very, you know, I can't Hard look to get that the, far down. I mean, anyway, I, I just, sorry. I got to Anyway, fan okay, Larry. Well, sorry. Why we're here. About last night. Okay. I know you're the same way because I know you and I don't know this answer, but I know the answer. Okay. Because your brain works the same way. Like I can't be in public a lot because like, I just stare at people. Mm. I stare at their body parts like this. Right. And it's like, I will equally stare at a dude. Mm-hmm. And equally stare at a chick. And I get in trouble, of course, or you're more likely to get in trouble doing that. But like if somebody's got impressive hamstrings and it's like a you know 40-year-old dude in the gym, I will just stare at their ass. I'm like, fuck, look mm-hmm. at that. Mm-hmm. Or whatever. And if it's a chick, it's like now I'm being creepy. When a dude is like, whoa, what's going on here? But I just I can't, I can't not. I can't be like looking and I look at their like quad. I'm watching, like, I'm thinking, like, wow man, where does this like Rexus from Morris or like originate? And I bet it crosses there. Like, that's why it's quad. And you'll end up like, you're so lost in your stupid little brain. And you realize you're like, I'm staring right at this dude's crotch <laughs> for five minutes. I've been staring and like twinking my head like this. This is probably not good. But the same thing, like I'll look at girls' chests and I'm like, I'm clearly looking right at their chest, but I'm like, man, look at their pack. And like, how does it, mm-hmm. their shoulders are like, that's really impressive. Mm-hmm. But you're like, all right, this is not socially acceptable. Like, <laughs> Well, the double standard for women is that we can get away with a lot more staring at people without coming across as creepy. I mean, we do have to be careful. Yeah, but you stare at the girls, you're a hater. 
Well, I mean, maybe, maybe. I like to think not, but I mean, it's more, the bigger issue with us is more like, if you look at an impressive male physique for more than half a second, you're like, oh Mm. shit, now he's coming over. Like it's a whole thing now. Fair enough. (laughs) You can't look at anything, but I've actually had a lot of like, I've made some good friends at the gym because literally we will, like I'll see a chick doing something super impressive and I'm like, holy shit, like you're awesome. And then we have a fun chat and we talk and it's, it's great. So I like to think that there is still that ability to like, you know, actually interact with human beings um in real life but yeah i'm 100 percent doing the same thing yeah. i was doing it I too, like on instagram too, whatever i'm like i'll see something and i'll zoom in and i'm like staring at my phone like this and then the wife's like staring Excuse at me? another girl in a bikini <laughs> and it's really like fucking look at her cool. like this is kind of what it's for i mean yeah yeah this is yeah the exact opposite reason why most dudes are zooming in that picture and i'm just like yeah god look at her fucking lats those are great mm-hmm. i'm like, a big fan of lats rdl doing bicep curls and like whatever yeah. Okay. Okay. We got off track with the with the Larry thing. Question. You were talking about you like sitting around watching the Seahawks, but also you are still training like for performance, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Of course. Like there's, um, like I'm probably not gonna compete anytime soon in anything. I would love to compete in jujitsu again, uh, but my knee is not cooperating uh, for the time being. So we'll see there. But like, there's always little things that. Uh, you know, like I've got a chalkboard in my gym, which is my garage, which is this, you know, same thing. Uh, and it, there's always metrics up there. And I'm like, I wonder if I could get to this. I wonder if I could get to here. And um, a lot of times it's competing with, with Ortega. So like a lot of things are like, cause we're about the same size. Mm. Um, and while he's a real professional athlete, he's, his skill set is not the physical side of it, you know, in, in terms of the source. So that's, that's a part we've been developing for a long time. So it's a good gauge for him so it's vertical jump it's it's speed on aerodyne bike it's uh different things like that that we're always kind of playing with the medicine ball throw for distance stuff um you know all kinds of things like that that the metrics wouldn't make any sense to you guys mm-hmm. you know when you're saying them so well, uh, that stuff will never leave me like I, I i have a hard time just like exercising for fun yeah it doesn't really happen what's uh what are your uh aerodyne workouts because i have one i have an assault bike and uh i want to you know, do something painful. So I just, well, like we we do, I mean, so many different things. Um, but what I'll give you are some of the ones that maybe people are less familiar with. So one thing that I like doing is, you know, max effort stuff on there. That is not a particular time or repetition scheme, but it is limited by position. Hmm. So imagine doing something like your nasal only breathing and you're going to go as fast as you can for as long as you can until you break posture. And then you can recover whenever you want for as long as you want. And you're going to go again and you're going to see how many rounds you can go, how much total distance you can cover in say 20 minutes. When, as soon as you break posture or technique, your elbows flare, your head starts to spin like that, or you have to breathe through your mouth, then you have to stop and seeing how much total again, work or time or distance or whatever you can accrue in a a 20 minute span. So things like that, I, I really enjoy because you can have strategy, you can think, but it is, it is quality based while still training the hell out of yourself. I'm already thinking like good, good posture, good positioning, mouth closed as hard as you can. I'm like, I would probably go like five seconds before shit falls completely <laughs> apart. Yeah. Um, that's amazing. That's That yeah. just gave me something difficult to to work on now. Yeah, I mean, we'll do the same thing with, with weights too. So imagine doing the same thing with your deadlift. 
Mm -hmm. like yeah. you, don't, you don't get to break the second you break position it's over doesn't count like you can't do that nasal only breathing right mm -hmm. diaphragm's got to be stacked got to have posture all that stuff um so it's shifting the emphasis again rather than a randomly prescribed repetition range or intensity to um learning to practice to maintain position and with somebody like you know any, any of the fighters i work with this is critically important because as soon as they stop breathing it's a quick fall off the hill so they have got to be able to maintain structural position particularly with the diaphragm um, while being punched while being moving in awkward positions and while being extremely damn tired so you can't fall into the hunch <laughs> like you do this you're gonna get knocked out right you have to maintain perfect positions even if your heart rate's 190 if it's 200 205 like you have got to have your arms in the right spots you've got to keep your shoulders relaxed heads relaxed all that stuff um, so i like those things because it's we can take you to the pain cave but we're also practicing being in the positions you have to be in. Mm -hmm. Okay. This has been very cool. Um, I could, you know, keep asking you questions all day. I want to be respectful of your time. So is there anything, um, you know, that you're working on that you're especially excited about or anything that you want to like direct people to? I mean, I've read your book unplugged. It's really, really good. I highly recommend anybody, um, read that, but is there anything else that, that folks can be, you know, following you and checking out that you're, you're working on right now? Yeah, I mean, we always have a whole host of studies in the hop. Um, we're actually going to submit today uh, a grant um, to this NASA project we're working on, which is, I guess, the sneak peek of that is we're, we're, we, we built an Ironman suit. So that's as much as I'll tell you there. It's, it's pretty awesome. What? We're just going to end the podcast with that? Going to have to end it there. You, you, you created an Ironman suit? Yeah. <laughs> It's anyways. Okay. Um, All so right. there's that. Um, <laughs> the, the suits there. We go get a bunch of stuff going there. So is there a picture have... of you in the Iron Man suit? Mm -mm. Oh man. Okay. That's only for my wife. Okay. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Okay. All uh, right. I mean, there's that. There has I actually got um, I don't know when this will go out, but uh I'm I've recorded a whole host of videos uh on all the latest stuff we've learned the last couple of years on hypertrophy. Cool. Um, and so that's like probably six hours of videos and chopped up on a bunch of different little things. And I'll go up as soon as I can remember to, to put them on YouTube because they're up there. Awesome. Uh, I just got to like change the thing. So th those are always up there content wise. YouTube is, is there. Um, Twitter and Instagram are the places where I, I release stuff, although I'm getting less and less talented at that. Um, but that, that's the best place to follow. Okay. things along so i have a ton of stuff um brian's gonna be fighting again here soon hopefully lauren will as well um and then the rest of the folks were kind of waiting on some dates so those cool. are the big things um off season just started for baseball so we're chilling there and um awesome. yeah i'm gonna enjoy the, the thanksgiving week and eat a bunch of deer that i just brought home and do you hunt oh yeah this is yeah. like a whole other thing we have to talk about now you don't have a copy of my book yet right I do not. Okay, I'm gonna have to get get you a copy, obviously, because um, that's something I'm getting into now too. This will have to be like a second call, but I literally just took my like firearm safety, hunter safety course, whatever, um, and now I'm gonna have to wait until sort of the next season um, yeah. to, to get into it. But I figure, you know, look, I'm telling people that they need to eat hearts and brains and livers, and they should yeah. be eating them from locally sourced whatever. So I should probably like take part in this part of it myself, but I'm, yeah. I'm very excited. Heart um, is, heart is my favorite cut of meat probably. 
it's the most delicious. It's so, so versatile. Dope. Yeah, it's okay. So you got deer. Is that what you you mostly hunt? Um, this year was all mule deer. Oh, it's so awesome. Yeah. In fact, like the heart is what I always save, um, like a special occasion stuff. So I have um, like Tatiana Suarez, one of the other fighters I work with. Mm-hmm. Like she's gonna come over. Um, she trains here at my house, and uh, I told her I'd save some of the hearts. So we'll grill up the hearts for her. We'll watch some fights. That's my like favorite cut to to get people into like the not quite awful category, but the, or Ofa, however you want to pronounce it. Um, I mean, it is though. It is organ meats. It's just that like, it's like, it's so arbitrary. It's muscle meat too. So it's famous. It's basically, yeah. Skeletal muscle. It's cardiac muscle. It's, it just means it's all slow twitch. Yeah. Um, It's it just cooks up just like a steak. It's, it's fantastic. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have a mentor that's going to help you through this hunting process? Well, it's funny you ask. I mean, first of all, I have where I live and my partner and like former military guys and they're all hunters. And so they know what they're doing and they're very experienced. Copy. So Copy. I've got yeah. that. But I also have connected with um, a woman. Her name's Bree Van Scotter. And you might want to check her out. She actually just wrote a cookbook all about cooking wild game. And it's all bear and deer and moose and cool huh. stuff like that. But she is a hunter. She's a chef. She's a um, spear hmm. fisher. She like does all of it. And, you know, just from a a perspective of like, it'd be cool to kind of go on a hunting trip with a bunch of chicks, you know, like that'd be kind of fun. So she's sort of my, you know, unofficial mentor. She may not know that yet, but um, I've been learning a lot from her. So very cool. Like I'm- There's a host of chicks I follow uh, that are in the realm of wild game stuff um, that are chefs mostly, but that stuff. And and I've, like, we we always make our own sausage out of the meat and stuff. and we follow a lot of people like that who are, are, are just like fantastic chefs in the game category. So women hunters is like an, a very quick growing um, Most uh, category because I mean, first of all, I think since the pandemic, a lot of people have been like, oh, maybe I should become more self-sufficient and <laughs> like take care of myself, like legit. And I think that for whatever reason, women are getting a lot more into it too. And I will say like, this is anecdotal, but the feedback that I'm getting from this book, it's been, and that this just might be my audience too, but it's a lot of women and it's a lot of women who are like, I'm interested in trying something new. I know this is yeah. healthy. I know I need to eat more protein. I made this heart. My husband's terrified of it, but I'm crushing it. <laughs> I'm like, good yeah. for you. Like just more protein for you. Don't worry about him. He'll, he can be yeah. a wuss if he wants to. The only, the only downside of, um, going for the servites is you can't, you can't use a brain because yeah, of why, CWD. Why is it? Okay. Chronic oh. wasting disease. So you can't eat the brain or anything like that, which doesn't hurt my feelings to be honest. Sorry. I mean, some animals, you like, I, I got some, I can, I've sourced some like pretty good veal brains and stuff. I've eaten them and, and I'm still, I'm, I'm yeah. okay. I'm still here, <laughs> but I know, I mean, the yeah. risk is a little bit higher with some of these things, but. Yeah. I mean, you're probably fine. I actually had one of mine uh, just spot check for CWD. So we'll see in a few weeks. Um, you're most likely fine, but it just depends on where you're at. Do you know what, um, what are you going to target first? What, what are you going to I'm going to move, like, I'm going to start with smaller, like I'll probably do like turkey hunting first uh-huh. because again, it's like, Copy. you know, let's, let's be real. It's easier to, to kill a bird than it is to kill a deer. Like mentally it, for oh. me, it is like, it's not, a, oh, it's not as okay. intimidating like- or as scary or as intense to kill like a small bird relatively than to like a large game animal. So I think that just from like a- It's harder though. Those damn things are sometimes tough. Well, I'm not saying I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna be crushing it from day one, but I just from like a a get your head in the game kind of perspective, that's sort of what I'm, but I mean, around here, like in Ontario, I'm in Ontario and it's like, Ontario is a massive province that's 90% woods. Like I can almost 
do like kill anything if I, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's, there's deer, there's moose, there's whatever. Totally. So, um, we'll see, we'll see where it takes me, but I'm excited. I'm not so like nervous about the, I'm actually excited about the processing part, the breaking down the like learning, like getting in there. I'm kind of pumped about that. The, the actual hunting and like being in the cold woods for a day and then having <laughs> to kill something like that part of it, I need to like get my head around, but I'm excited about it. Like I'm, I feel no, like I'm cautiously optimistic about it. If it makes you feel any better, I've been, I grew up in a community that everybody hunted. I don't know anything besides hunting, right? Like that's yeah. my whole life. Um, I, I still have never met anybody who enjoys killing. Yeah. Yeah. It's not, it's, that's the worst part. No yeah. question. It's not, um, it's just the, um, you're going to enjoy it. Like but you'll, you'll have a mix of emotions, but especially after two or three days and you're just like, this is awful. Mm-hmm. And then you'll finally get something and you're going to be like, wow. Yeah. Um, it, it is awesome, but it's not like the, the killing part is not the part you look forward to at all. No. Okay. I'm, I'm, it is what it is. You think about it this way. They're going to most likely their death would have been a lot worse than the one you just gave them. So this is what I'm saying. I'm like, do people think that like animals just die quietly in their sleep? Like pretty sure that the wolves that get to them are going to be way less humane than we are generally speaking. But I mean, I, again, I don't with the, like with this book, with my life in general, I'm not out yeah. there. Like you said, I'm not out there trying to convince any vegans of anything. Sure. I'm just, yeah. you know, you I'm trying to do this in the like most healthy, respectful, nutritious, positive way that I can, you know, if people have questions, if they want to learn more, great, but I'm For not sure. out here trying to, you know, Plus you're going to have like with your background and this stuff, you're going to have so much fun being like, Oh, there's the round roast. Oh, those are the back straps. Like, ah, and with with your training too, like, it's really fun to be like, Oh, that's a psoas, AKA tenderloin. Like, Oh, dope. Like it's really cool. (laughs) There's a spinal erectors, AKA back strap. Like dope. It's really cool. That's really cool. All right. Well, now that I know that you are actually um, into and good at this, um, look forward to uh, texting you lots of questions about hunting in the future. So bring it. Appreciate it. Good luck for you. Get out and practice. Thank you. Uh, My biggest tip with practicing, the biggest thing you want to do is figure out how to load and fire your gun. Because I promise you the first time you see something walk in front of you that is shoot eligible, you're going to fuck that up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I've got like a little bit of a background and like, you know, I have a dad who's teaching me like how to use bows and arrows and BB guns from like a young age in the backyard. Okay. So like, and I, you know, again, like I said, like my husband, like we're gonna, we're gonna, we take this stuff very seriously. Obviously it's yeah. like a big responsibility. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'm like cautiously, cautiously optimistic, but I'm, I'm Good. very excited Good about it. Yeah. Well, let me know how you do. I appreciate it. Andy, thank you so much for your time. This has been super fun. Um, I love following everything that you're doing because I think, you know, all jokes aside, like it's one thing to be super smart and it's another thing to be able to explain it to other people. And I think you do a really good job of that. Like you're able to kind of put out information that is really useful um, in a way that we can actually use. So I appreciate you doing that. I appreciate you, you know, taking your time to chat with me today and, um, Good luck. Good luck uh, to you and Brian and Lauren and everybody, and I'll be watching. All right, appreciate it. Good to catch up. That's it for today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. I think if there's anything we can take from this episode or that we should take from this episode, it's that our diet probably shouldn't consist of mostly biscuits, right? I think that's something we can all agree to. Um, And listen, if you are eating mostly biscuits these days and your gut is 
experiencing the results of that, you might want to check out today's show sponsor, which, as I said earlier, is Bioptimizers. They make my absolute favorite probiotic digestive enzyme products that have been tangibly improving my life over the past year in a way that I did not expect to, to happen. And, you know, even for someone who's got health is pretty sorted out for the most part, um, I've noticed a significant improvement in my overall health, digestion, and ability to just take the most from the food that I'm eating because of their products. And they've got a range. Um, they've got probiotics. They've got digestive enzymes. They've got a bunch of other products that are awesome. So go check them out at bioptimizers.com. Use the code MUSCLEMAVEN10 for a discount. And that's it. Thank you guys again. A reminder that if you want to say happy birthday to me, please do that via leaving a review for the podcast or for my book, It Takes Guts on Amazon. Maybe even just sharing my work on social media and tagging me so that I can see it. That kind of um, really thoughtful response and taking the time to just help me grow the work that I'm doing um, matters a lot to me. So thank you so much in advance. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you here again next Tuesday. Thank you.